Hello, everybody. Hello, world. We are now live. <laughs> I haven't used this tool before. We're doing on a new thing. So this is new to me. And obviously, this was very hastily arranged, this whole event. But so many people have been saying to me, aren't you going to do a wall? Aren't you going to be like John King or Cuomo or whatever? And I just started feeling like I wasn't doing enough for the NEC results. So McNash suggested or, or sort of asked whether I was going to invite him and Charlie onto some sort of event. So I thought, yeah, why not? Let's do it. So um, I don't know how, just kind of what like audience this has. Like it's so niche, but we'll see what happens. I mean, the whole point of this is niche labor news, right? So hopefully we are going to get a good audience for this. And thankfully, the Labour Party did actually release the results on time. A little bit past five, of course, but we have got them. We haven't got the full breakdown, but we do know the headline results. So the party tells me that I will be sent a link once the full breakdown is up and we've got some more data and numbers to dig into. At the moment, we're just going to be discussing who has been elected, or we know. So, uh, yeah, so let's start. Um, so... Basically, what we know is that overall, Keir Starmer has boosted the amount of support that he has on Labour's NEC. So that's the key takeaway. But everyone kind of has something to positive to take of these election results, right? Because the left thought perhaps they would get four member seats. They've actually gotten five and they got the disabled rep as well. So let's kind of explore all of this a little bit more. Um, I'll start with you, Charlie, because you are such an expert and you know so much of the detail. Does this match up with what your expectations were? Um, yeah, well, I have to say there were, and I'm sure James will probably say, there were probably a few surprises. And, and just to say, and this is, I thought, in any event, you have to have a prop and everybody's asked about the magic wall already. So I've produced a sort of mini magic wall, which you can't <laughs> read, but... Um, um, it's, it's some of the scores, but at least I've at least I've gone to the trouble of providing a prop, okay, for everyone. Um, so um, having displayed the prop, I'm sorry, I can't put it behind me or fall over, so that will cause all sorts of problems. I mean, clearly, um, the any um, well, as you rightly said, the, it looks as if there's an increase for the leadership in terms of two gains, um, in terms of Wales and the. Um, um, the extra CLP place, which will be UK first. Um, at the same time, Open Labour have gained a foothold on the CLP section. They already had a place on the CLPs. And at the same time, um, you know, that there's, you know, with all the discussion today, there's certain trade unions, like the GMB, that, you know, they obviously are sort of part of that sort of group of sort of people who are sort of, you know, probably in a significant power role in terms of votes on the NEC. So, you know, they will see that even though it probably they didn't get all the candidates they wanted to win. They've obviously done, uh, you know, uh, got a position of influence. And obviously, grassroots voice um, will be pleased, I'm sure, that bearing in mind people were talking about four, I mean, James will probably talk about this more, um, was, you know, was an expected number. They've gained five. So um, they'll be pleased with that. But obviously, at the same time, bearing in mind they used to have all nine seats in the CLP section, and um, they've lost two in a by-election, and then subsequent two in the um, in, in in this election. Though of course one wasn't a voting member at present; was obviously one NEC member was suspended, so it's slightly less. Um, um, so that 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 you know, so that is obviously the impact on them. And obviously they've also lost Anne Henderson 
tonight who was chair of equalities and obviously that'll have an impact probably on composition of the NEC officers group but also at the same time GV will be very pleased they picked up the disabled place uh, because you know that was probably quite a close fought battle um, it, they, they weren't I don't think they were sure they had the majority of the trade union votes so they had to win the members votes and so they you know that's a significant achievement there i hear and the, the two little factoids because people like factoids and trying to do a pretend john king um i hear it was i've heard and don't know if this is confirmed yet 0.3 percent lead in the disabled one so that was quite a close result and the other little factoid i've heard tonight is 37 rounds of voting to decide the nec clp section so those are the two little takers we yet obviously don't don't yet know the turnout. Um, I assumed it was going to be about 30%. I don't know if CN has been given breaking, any breaking news. We have got actually some more data. It's just just come up, just come through. So I'm going to send it to you three and then we can sort of try to have a look at it while we're yeah. discussing the results. Well, so, I, think I, I think I've given a good overview. Obviously, others will probably want to, you know, so hopefully that's a helpful introductory. Thing and then others may James or Aisha may want to com comment then, <laughs> and I'll yeah. have a quick look at the results. <laughs> yeah. You you look at the data and James, yeah. do you want to Makash? Sorry, <laughs> James Makash, do you want to just give your kind of overview, your like reaction from a left perspective about whether this matches up to your expectations? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, um, well, I think the first thing to say is that the the death of the Labour left has been greatly exaggerated. I think it's been a very very good result for the Labour left. I would into this, I think the thing firstly the thing to emphasise is that it is a different voting system. So while it is true that the Labour left now have fewer of the CLP seats than they did before, that is a result of the, the change voting system. Before, if you had a slim majority of the votes, you won all nine seats. Now a slim majority of the votes wins five seats, which is what Grassroots Voice have managed to do. Um, I went into this campaign in the very beginning, thinking the Labour left should be looking uh, getting three, three seats. Three seats would correspond to the vote that Rebecca Long Bailey got, which is 27%. Um, by the end of the campaign, I thought, actually, you know what? Things are looking pretty good. We're going to get four seats. Nomination looking good, very well organised. Clearly, there's a lot of Keir Starmer and Lisa Nandy supporters who are quite keen on the grassroots voice. I think we can get four. I didn't expect five. Five is a very, very good result um, for the Labour left in the CLP section. And it's also been replicated elsewhere, as I think um, we've already touched upon. I think the one that's worth noting above all is the youth section. Where on pretty much every space, including the chair of Young Labour and the NEC rep. Obviously, those are the, the future of the party. So I think it does show that there is a very strong appetite amongst the membership, amongst the youth, for a radical socialist platform and for a democratic party. I think that's been shown. So I think it, I think, yeah, very surprised um, and I'm pleasantly surprised. I think it's been a very good result for the left. Brilliant. And Aisha, what was your kind of overall take? And did it match up to your expectations? And what, what kind of people in your circle are saying? Are they saying it's fine because you know, Keir Starmer supporters can be happy that basically he's increased his majority. Or are they saying, you know, a bit disappointed because thought we could have got more member rep seats? Um, the people that I've spoken to are pretty pleased with the um, results. Um, I think they just feel that it means that Keir Starmer is not going to have, you know, a nightmare with the NEC. He is going to be able to... Um, 
you know, he's not, what does somebody say to me, that the longer the NEC meetings go on, the further away from power Labour tends to be. So I think, you know, there's a kind of feeling that he's not going to have to sort of tangle with the NEC, he has this minority now, um, which is very, very important for him. This, is the, this was the key thing, it was sort of the missing piece um, of the jigsaw. So, uh, yeah, people I've spoken to are pretty pleased. Um, I think it's interesting in terms of Luke Akers topping the, the ball. I think people are very pleased about that. One thing that I'm personally upset about is that I think it's a great tragedy that we didn't elect um, any of the male black candidates that were put forward to really excellent, like Terry and Terry, really excellent. Um, and I do think we have a problem in our party about this. And I think we have to address it. Uh, it kind of shames me to say that actually the Conservative Party does better on black men than it does um, at the moment. And I think that is something that we have, and whatever wing of the party you're on, I think that's something that we've got to sort of address. So I think it, I think it's a good, I think it's a good balanced NEC. I think it's good to have all wings of the party represented personally. I think that is really, really, really important. Um, it shouldn't be a party governed by one faction. Wisdom doesn't reside with one particular faction of the Labour Party. We are stronger when we come together. But as I say, from a representation point of view, my God, it's 2020. We still cannot get a black man elected on our NEC. And shame on us, really. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. So just for context for people, uh, the 1987 caucus back in July revealed they had to kind of dig into the, the history of the archives and they revealed that the Labour's ruling body has never had black male representation at all. And in this in these elections, there was both Jermaine Jackman and also uh, Terry Paul. And obviously those are different. Those are different slates. And even though they were on different slates, no black man was elected. So that is something that we clearly need to think about. It's like, no matter their politics, it's not yeah. happening. So yeah. that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, I think Charlie, have you done the data a bit more? Yeah, I've done a bit of, well, you wouldn't call it quite crunch, data crunchy, but um, some little bits of information. We now know, of course, the turnout uh, for the NEC elections in terms of the members was 27%. Um, so slightly lower than we, we, some of us might have thought it was going to be, but broadly in line with what are called off, you know, elections that are held not at the same time as a leadership election. In recent years, it's been averaging about 30%. So that's uh, the first thing to be aware of. Um, and obviously turnout has varied in other places. In the disabled section, it was 42%. I was expecting probably 50 to 60% because the BAME uh, ballot last year was about 61%. So that was a little bit lower. The youth section, as I expected, was a bit lower uh, at 19%. So, you know, that gives you an idea of the sort of levels of um, engagement there. Uh, councillor section 54%, I would have expected that to be at one of the higher levels. Um, in terms of the numbers, yes, it's disabled was very close. Um, and, um, you know, um, the interesting one there was that, um, as well as the two main candidates, there was also, and I, I can declare an interest, was he used to be a member of my CLP and was my parliamentary candidate. Uh, Emily Brothers polled uh, 300, I, 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 I think they class it as 300,000 votes out of the, which wasn't big, but was, you know, probably significant to have made a difference in that result. Um, Treasurer looks like um, Diana Holland may have polled over 95% of the vote, so she'll be pleased with that. Um, and um, uh, what else was there? Wales um, was quite close, about a 200 majority for Carwin. 
over Mick Antonew. So that was quite a close result. So those are the immediate um, takeaways from some of the initial scores. There may be a few others that people spot and flag up in the questions or, or others may spot stuff as well. So I hope that's helpful. Makash, did you want to come in here? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say about well, kind of the conversation we're having about the lack of black men on the NEC, which is absolutely right. That that is a scandal that that, that hasn't happened. But let's not overlook the achievement of Mish um, today, because so he's the first, as far as I know, the first Bengali man to be on the NEC, the first um, Muslim man, I think, also to be on the NEC, and he came from the full momentum kind of primary process as well, which I think is going to be something we're going to see a lot more in these contests. Obviously, in these particular NEC elections, there were primaries held um, for the Open Labour slate, of which um, Anne Black and Jermaine Jackman won, and then also for the um, the left slate in the moment the um, Young Labour elections as well. But Mish came through the Ford Momentum campaign, which obviously was an internal campaign within um, within Momentum. And I think it's likely we're going to see more primaries like this in the future, especially given the kind of STV does require candidates to have a bit more, I suppose, of a presence, um, because people are less likely to just simply follow for the, the entire slate because they have to rank them. So they have to put people who they know well right at the top. And I think that's probably what we've seen. That's probably why we've seen the candidates who were elected from those slates elected. It's not enough just to be on a slate now. I think you need to have a bit of a individual name recognition and face recognition as well. I just want to pick up something that I mean, I just think it is something that we and well done to, you know, all the ethnic minority candidates that ha have made it through. But, you know, one of the big conversations that has been having at the moment is lumping everybody together under BAME. Bengali is brilliant. Muslim is but I'm Muslim myself. That's not black. And we, we shouldn't try and just pretend that the BAME thing gets us over the line. I mean, I remember in 2010, I asked when I was looking for Harry Harman. I helped get Diane on the nomination paper so Diane Abbott could stand. She still did really, really badly. We have got a problem in the Labour Party, and I'm not saying this as a factional point, I'm saying it across the piece. We have got to do more to find a way to support black candidates from all across the different wings to get elected. This is an issue and we do have to deal with it. And again, brilliant that lots of people, you know, there's different sort of Asian candidates and um, South Asian candidates. That is really good. That's really important. Great to have Muslim uh, representation. But look, let's not try and sort of just sugarcoat this thing. Other thing I think is important, Tribune. The Tribune slate didn't do very well. And I think that's, that's kind of interesting um, as well. I actually like hosted an event with those candidates. I think slightly... And what was interesting, the sort of soft left or, and the kind of that bit of the party sort of ended up kind of probably not making a wise strategic decision to kind of run different slates. And, you know, there were some good candidates on that. Paula Sheriff, I'm quite disappointed Paula Sheriff um, didn't get on. But it's quite interesting that Tribune, you know, didn't do particularly well. Yeah, I think that that's really interesting. I mean, obviously, name... I mean, we can talk about like what determines the success of individual candidates, especially under STV, which is the new voting system uh, used for the members section in particular, those nine local party representatives. What are the things that determine your success? I think it's typically thought that being a woman is good in terms of your success. Alphabetical order, obviously, is a great determinant. So if you, you know, a cursed. <laughs> yeah. You would have partly benefited from that, but also 
uh, incumbency, maybe, but then we can talk about how that didn't work out for Anne Henderson. Um, and also, uh, yeah, name recognition is obviously the big one. Clearly, I mean, I think big takeaway is that if you write for Labour list, as Luke Akers does, gives you a very big advantage in <laughs> internal Labour elections, I think we can fairly say. Um, but also Laura Pidcock, she's kind of similar to the Tribune ones in that she's a former MP, but it really works for her and it didn't work for them. Mm. What, I mean, why is that? That's an interesting thing to explore. Mm. Oh, could, could, I, I, could I just comment? I mean, it's, I mean, the interesting other little takeaway is if you look at the first page of the data they've currently released, it does say the following candidates were elected in an order election. And in some ways, people are going to be a bit surprised with this. Luke Akehurst topped the poll, uh, which I suspect a lot of people might have thought that Laura Pidcock was probably going to top the poll, or possibly Anne Black probably being the second, and didn't do quite as well, though she came sort of mid-table. But Luke Akehurst, I suspect if any of us had thought about a week or two ago that Luke Akehurst was going to top the poll, um, or in terms of getting the highest or the first one on, or however it is. I mean, to be fair, it's probable that him and Laura were, were may have well have both got a first preference result, but I'm assuming that his vote was actually higher but I suspect none of us would have probably assumed that because obviously and Luke himself I'm sure and I know well would probably say he's quite a Marmite candidate um, to, to put it mildly and but you know if you're a Marmite candidate you know that clearly gives you a support base and he's he'll be obviously very proud of his score I'm sure Laura as a first time NEC member is going to be very proud of her score I mean Joanna Baxter I mean it's interesting to note isn't it that whilst grassroots voice have uh, got a lot of people elected down the bottom of the list. Um, obviously, Labour to win have got uh, two people in the top three, and that looks like they poll very highly. And, but what it also may imply, and James may have some views on this, is that um, the um, the grassroots voice regional vote strategy, where they ask people to vote in different you know different regions, may have paid off for them in the sense that he pulled in a lot of votes at the end and got a few people in and obviously we haven't seen the scores yet but obviously it will be interesting to see if, for example it benefited Nadia Jama who I must admit I didn't expect to get elected um and Mish Rahman who I thought would get elected um you know they've obviously done well so you know James may have some views on that but you know it that I mean that may be something that they benefit from but obviously you know this is just speculation at this stage we don't know exactly but that's what I might interpret these results as saying I mean, so so Sienna's just posted in, in our chat here the, the full results, the, the full wow. which is unfortunately not the kind of 12-page document I want to be reading through and analysing right on, on screen. Um, wow. But I would say I'm not actually massively surprised that, that Luke Akers did so well because he is a Marmite candidate, as we say. And, you know, in a first-past-the-post election, the question there is, are there enough people, um, is there a majority of people who want him on the NEC? And that's not the question STV. The question STV is, is there a tenth of members who want to win the NEC more than they want anyone else? And I would have thought there'd be a lot of people in that wing of the party who think, actually, the person I want on there the most is Luke Akers, because I know what his politics are, I know what he'll fight for, and I know he'll do that job really, really well. And I think um, I think that's been reflected in that. What I think is interesting, and as I say, I've not had a chance to look through the full kind of breakdown, is that in those, the first three elected, um, two of them were for the Labour to win slate, which meant they had a very high number of first preferences, mm -hmm. two of them to get on straight away. So two out of the first three, then only one out of the remaining six. 
um, they just weren't able to pick up those transfers. Um, mm. Suggests to me that either they have some individual candidates who are very popular on their own, but their whole slate and their whole brand is not so popular, or they have a less sophisticated strategy for making sure their vote does transfer. And I think it's probably a combination of both. I think that the less slate were the only ones in this election to have a coordinated approach to asking different members to vote for different people. And I think that guarantees a, a spread in that first round. So actually, Laura Pidcock's vote will actually be lower, I think, than her popularity would suggest, because a lot of people will have explicitly been told not to vote for her first, um, mm. even though they might like her best. Whereas in the Labour to win slate, that's not the case. The suggestion was vote for whoever you like first, vote for the person you like most. And I think that's sort of why, why we've seen, I think the, the rankings of the Labour to win candidates do largely indicate their popularity but the rankings of the grassroots voice candidates, not so much, because in part it's because of this, the equalization strategy the left slate um, implemented this election, which to be honest, I think will probably be something that other slates do next election as well, because I think it's shown to be successful. I think that's really interesting because I didn't see so much promotion of this kind of regional preference strategy, but clearly, I mean, it probably has had some effect, it looks like at the moment. So that is a really interesting thing. Obviously, STV is this new system that hasn't been used before in this way. So we're all learning lessons about how to approach them. Yeah. I mean, I think also the, I mean, I, I was quite concerned or I was quite interested to see how the kind of Labour to win slate would work going up against the Tribune slate um, because there's quite a lot of commonality and actually if I'm really honest strategically that was like not a very kind of smart thing to do and, and that was to Tribune's detriment as we've just discussed but I think that kind of Labour to to win probably did well I mean yes Joanna particularly has got big re name recognition and I think her incumbency is 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 a very positive incumbency. She's seen as a very hardworking NEC member. She's seen in terms of very being very popular in terms of the reports she does and, and things like that. But I think as well what they did was by 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 just being so clearly tied to being quite a simple pro Keir Starmer message that did that did work. And I think that is where a lot of the party are at the at the moment, you know, the, the leadership, he is popular. Keir Starmer is. It was not so much a, a. I mean, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to any of the other Labour to win candidates, but I think if you were voting for their slate, you were very much saying, "I'm doing this to try and help Keir Starmer. I'm really trying to do this to try and make his life easier." And he is in this phase right now where he is popular. You know, he is. I wouldn't. I don't know. Honeymoon period still the right thing, but you know, he's. He, he is that there's a lot of goodwill from I think party members there's a lot of feeling that they do want to try and back him up on a lot of things and I think that is that is shown in terms of the certainly the the, the top three um you know people on the on 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 the on the list mm. someone from momentum has just pointed out to me that I didn't see the regional preference strategy much because it was all done by email and I don't get all of momentum emails unless people kindly forward them to me so that's a good point so obviously the membership were being reminded of that a lot more than anyone else was um so that's interesting I, I, um, i've got i've got an i've got an interesting addition to this thing you'll be pleased well you'll be interested to know that 265 people voted for luke akehurst only according to the numbers so that's you know that's the, the ultimate sort of you know he's he's their man um 
Yeah, I just wanted to flag up. Um, I've just been looking at the last few stages of the vote because obviously that was where it was probably getting a bit exciting. And um, um, a mention, obviously, both um, Aisha's mentioned about um, 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 sort of the issue of black candidates. Jermaine Jackson got to the final stage, round 30, stage 37. It was 37 rounds and, and lost out. So um, and and he so was all, all on the rails. I think Anne Henderson was also. Unfortunately, they've written the phrase Anne Henderson doomed. I don't know if that's a yeah. technical term, but it feels a bit sorry for her, really, with that score. But but as I say, uh, you know, so for those who are interested, um, you know, Jermaine Jackson, Jackman, I should apologies, um, did come into the fight, did make it to the final round, and clearly he's in a, you know, obviously got potential for the future, presumably because of that. Um, so that that's the, the interesting two extra bits of info you might be want to know about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I think I'm going to, to interview Jermaine actually about this issue because I, I kind of said, said this before the election results, whether he won or lost, I'd be interested in interviewing him because I think there's just, you know, there's a lot to say about that. And they've actually put out a statement, the 1987, caucus basically saying you know we could have made history today and that hasn't happened so this is something that we need to keep talking about clearly i mean see and i'd also urge you to interview terry as well because he has spoken um a lot about this issue as well and as you say it's from both it's from you know both ends of the, the spectrum so i think it's definitely worth you know do having a proper focus on this yeah, definitely. I mean, we wrote up what Terry said at a Labour to Win event, actually, uh, what was it, a couple of months ago, talking about all the different ways in which he feels that, you know, black men aren't respected in the Labour Party and all the, the kind of different facets of this issue. So it's definitely something we're going to cover some more. Um, so in terms of other things that we might want to talk about, I mean, I actually think, I mean, the more surprising results, I think for me, were well, disabled rep, the, the left weren't particularly thinking that they were going to win that one because of course it's an electoral college used for that so the trade unions have a really big say in those uh, rep posts uh, youth and disabled and this is a new post and going into the election the left candidate Ellen Morrison uh, didn't have the support of two big unions in the way that her rival did so it was expected that well, she would need at least 60% of members votes in order to get through and clearly she did that so that's interesting in itself and then also for the Welsh rep one I was sort of thinking that Mick would win who's the incumbent now he isn't anti-Starmer he supported Starmer but he also didn't vote Starmer's way when it came to the general secretary pick on the NEC so he was uh, he can probably be considered a bit of a swing voter, certainly not someone who's going to be hostile to leadership at all on the NEC or particularly critical, but he's kind of more independent minded, perhaps. I don't know how Carwin Jones is actually going to vote on the NEC, obviously, but I think those two results are really interesting and they're a bit, a bit more unexpected. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think I'm, I'm told that Ellen's result in the disabled section is the first time that in one of those electoral college votes where half of the trade unions and half are the members, it's the first time ever that someone has won without having two of the major three unions, oh, um, which which is, you know, an, another historical moment, not, not just the fact that we've elected a new disabled rep, which is fantastic we have, but also someone has done it on that basis. I'm not massively surprised that the disabled member section have, have swung to the left, because obviously 
um, it's disabled members and disabled people who are facing the very worst of this like hostile Tory government. And I think I'm kind of the people who are most keen on radical solutions to that. So, so that doesn't really surprise me. On, on Wales, I, 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 um, I used to live in Scotland and um, it irritated me when English people um, kind of tried to tell me what's happening in Scotland and then clearly understand this. I'm, I'm going to kind of preface it with that. One thing I would say is Carwyn Jones is the ex first minister of Wales and that surely will have had a very big effect on his name recognition. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure to what extent you can interpret that as like a, a left-right thing, given that like overwhelming kind of name recognition on one side and not not so much on the other one. Yeah, I, I I always assumed that Wales was going to be a close one, and as it's proved, it's only two hundred votes in it. Um, because even though Mick was doing well on nominations, it, it was a different voting system to all the others. It was, I think, um, a members vote plus registered um, member registered unions supporters vote. So it was effectively an OMOV ballot, but to a different form of electoral college. Uh, and I always assume that um, Carwin would. Um, because he's obviously got a very strong profile, he's well known, was going to be highly competitive. I think on the disabled one, I've just done the numbers, I think Ellen Morrison got 37% of the, the OMOV vote, um, but the rest of the OMOV vote was quite heavily split, but that gave her enough um, to with her affiliate votes to narrowly win it. In fact, what's interesting now, having mentioned Jermaine earlier, and obviously the George Lindars Hammond vote, that obviously Open Labour have just narrowly missed out on two extra seats, so they might be a bit disappointed with that. But but you know, so those are the um, yeah, the other interesting one on the disabled one is that uh, someone called Liz Akokon, who I hope I apologise if I pronounced her wrong, um, polled quite well in the OMOV. And I must admit, I assumed it was going to be Ellen and Lip, George, Lindas, Ham, um, Hammond and Emily Brothers as the top three. But she's polled remarkably well. I have, I must admit, I apologise. I'll have to reread her CV, but she's done extremely well. So I'll just like that up. Yeah, I would say someone's just sent me that um, about the Ellen Morrison one. Um, <clears throat> Momentum had over 1,000 clicks on the equalities form that they sent out, apparently, and that's part of the reason that her OMOV was so high. So clearly, the fact that Momentum has this huge mailing list is still really important, right? That is so valuable to them. I should flag up that we've now, I mean, interesting facts for people. We now have, I think, 6,000 registered BAME voters who vote in that election, and we have 17,000 disabled uh, voters. I suspect that underestimates the number of disabled party members. So, you know, I suspect one of the issues for the NEC anyway is to increase the number of people, you know, to make it as representative of the membership and the disabled membership as, as possible. But, you know, 17,000 is not a bad vote to have a ballot electorate for, but I think that could be improved on. Definitely. So, Makash, do you think, so let's talk about in the members section, I mean, Anne Henderson, an incumbent, right? You might expect that, you know, woman fairly high up alphabetical order, an incumbent, quite well known, that she might get back on, but she didn't. Was it a mistake to include her? I mean, my understanding is that one of the key reasons that she was included is that she chairs the Equalities Committee. And these kind of, these committees on the NEC are really important because the chairs of those committees then make up the NEC officers group. And that's like the core group on the, the, the core, core, core group on the NEC that makes a lot of really pivotal decisions. What did you think about that, that choice? Does it say anything about the left slate choices that were made there? Well, I, I think that Anne, 
I think the argument about the um, the officers group essentially, so that's the reason, one of the key reasons why Anne Henderson was was considered such a strong candidate, wasn't because that makes her more likely to win, but rather it makes it more important to to hold it. So it's not an electoral asset; it's more a kind of a political asset once once in post. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure the extent to which um, incumbency matched in this election in the same way because of the change in voting system. Um, mm -hmm. I think that this incumbency essentially kind of gets um, higher name recognition. But if there's already quite a few people rerunning, which there were in this case, then I think that doesn't help so much. The other big issue for for Anne, which is obviously no fault of her own, but she lives in Scotland. Um, Scotland is a very small region, and it's also a region that had Joanna Baxter there as well. So it would have been quite a surprise if a small region like Scotland was, uh, I shouldn't say a region, but technically a region laid by terms, but of course it is a nation, um, would, would return two members, um, Joanna and Anne. So I think that all counted against her. Yeah. And then the other thing that possibly counted against her, she did have a, a vote for the incumbency, is that um, regionalisation strategy. So that levelled out those things. And I've just had a look at the results and she was, the, I think, the last person to be eliminated. Mm. So she was, in other words, she if there were 10 seats, she would have got that 10 seat. So she was in a very, very strong position. Um, but frankly, she was beaten not by candidates from other slates, but from by candidates in her own slate. She yeah. was just replaced by Mesh. Um, so... I, I don't think it necessarily reflects a huge amount on um, the, the choice of the slate. I think that it sort of shows that, um, you know, the, the slate did, I guess, as well as, as well as it could do, really. Um, I was initially quite critical. I said, why on earth are we running six candidates if we can get three or four? Mm -hmm. I was proven wrong. We were close to getting six. Um, so it, it turned out to be quite a good strategy, I think. In terms of kind of broader strategy and messaging, I mean, I, I interviewed John Landsman this week. I hope everyone's read it. And he was he was quite worried about these results. He was basically not only did he agree with you, Makash, that there should shouldn't be as many as six running, but also he felt as if the left was kind of retrenching to its core, I think is the, the phrase he used, and not basically reaching out to the kind of people who voted for Keir Starmer in the leadership election earlier this year, which obviously included a lot of people who had voted for Jeremy Corbyn beforehand. And he felt as if, you know, the broader messaging was actually appealing to kind of proper Corbynites rather than Starmer voters. And actually that would have been wider. I mean, do you think that sort of theory has been disproved here? I mean, I think that the strategy should be to kind of appeal to the Corbynite vote because the Corbynite vote overlaps with the Starmer vote. That's the that's the key thing. I think that probably people on all wings of the party neglect significantly. Um, so the Corbynite vote is obviously the membership has changed, but the Corbynite vote was about sixty percent, whereas the Rebecca Long Bailey vote was only twenty seven percent. And from what this looks like, it looks like the grassroots voice strategy worked relatively well kind of we don't know the exact figures well at least unless charlie just worked it out as we're as we're talking but um it, i suspect that grassroots vote will have had almost double the vote that rebecca long bailey got possibly not quite as high as um jeremy corbyn got in the leadership elections but nonetheless i think the campaign did cast quite a broad net and i suspect I can't see how it works without them having won over some Keir Starmer and some Lisa Nandy voters as well, which is absolutely right. And that is exactly what the left should be aiming for. Um, Aisha, do you want to talk about the kind of what you thought broadly of the, the strategy that was employed by Labour to Win? I mean, we've covered the fact that obviously the fact that there was Labour to Win, OL and Tribune was maybe kind of that first preference yeah. maximisation that's so important under STV as well. 
Well, I mean, I, I actually think that those three kind of, you know, entities didn't show the greatest political night by sort of going up against um, each other. So I think the fact that, um, I guess, the moderate group, you want to call it, has done so well is, is pretty um, encouraging. I mean, I think the takeaway for a lot of people is, well, most people, will be, well, obviously it won't be for most people because everyone's going to claim victory on this. But, you know, the, the fact is, you know, Keir Starmer has increased his majority um, on the NEC and, you know, key people who sort of support his direction of travel are going to be in considerable positions of power. And his life has jumped a lot easier by this result. Um, I do think that momentum do run a good operation. I think their data is fantastic. Mm. I think they're much more, and um, they, they they just have a really good operation in terms of getting data. I think they have like a much slicker operation than those other three entities. Um, they're really good at data collection. They're really good at data harvesting. They're really good at like um, strategy and all that kind of thing. I think I think they're like miles ahead of um, the, the moderates, if you if you like. But I think um, the moderates, as clunky as they sort of have been, I think they'll be pleased by this. But the main thing is, I think in Keir Starmer's office, they're just going to be really, really relieved by this result because he is not going to be in a position where he's hamstrung by the NEC, where every NEC battle is sort of this, you know, nine hour um, kind of melodrama. And so that's just going to give them so much comfort. But as I said at the beginning, there are some are there are some really interesting voices on the NEC. Um, you know, great to have the, as you say, the the, the disability rep. Laura Pidcock's gonna be really, really interesting on the NEC as well. And it's good it's good to have those those voices. But let's not let's be really honest about this. The NEC the way the majority the way the NEC is made up now, it's not going to give Keir Starmer and it's not going to give Keir Starmer a, a hard time. It's not going to be able to block Keir Starmer. And that is the thing which is central to, to all of this. Mm. I was just going to come back on to on one of James's points. And that was um, his point about, um, and, and it picks up Aisha's point about uh, the, the the strategy and is it are they the best strategies? I have to say it's an interesting question now that obviously if um, Grassroots Voice had only run one five candidates and that had um, and, and Anne Henderson was one of them, she would have been elected. So you know, the, in the end, in a sense, uh, by running six candidates, I and mean, this is not um, you know. I think it was inevitable that both slates were going to run six candidates this time because you couldn't be seen underselling yourself. But in retrospect, of course, uh, Anne Henderson would now be on the NEC probably if she was one of the five candidates that they'd run. So, so in that sense, you know, it was the final ballot, and James is right, you know, it was a battle in the end between Mish and Anne, and I'm sure both excellent NEC members probably, but in the end, Mish effectively, and, and it, whether it was Mish or Nadia or whoever, cost Anne her seat. So in the end, that was that bat. I mean, whilst the regional strategy probably did work for well, obviously the, the number of candidates has an impact. Of course, it now presents an interesting issue for the future. Um, assuming we're having STV next time, does Grassroots Voice presumably run six candidates on the hope that it's going to win? Or does it say, well, you know, are we going for an incumbency strategy to hold the five? So, you know, that's going to be the challenge for all the groups. And next time we'll labour to win and say, um, you know, OK, we only got three in. We'll run four next time. 
and presumably Open Labour, who just narrowly missed out on a seat, as well as, you know, then they will probably say, well, two seems to work at the moment. So so that's an interesting thing. You know, this, you know, the, the info we have is telling us some of the strategies they may have to think about the future. But the challenge, in a sense, now is for grassroots voice. Do they think they can win six? Or is it a five-seat incumbency strategy? That's the question. And maybe James will have some views on that. I mean, well, I, I guess first thing, like, I want to question the idea that actually this is a good result for for the so-called moderate wing, which is essentially I, I don't tend to like because it sort of implies that I'm an extremist. But um, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it is. I mean, it's a re- it's a good result in the sense that Aisha says that it means that Keir Starmer has a majority on the NEC. But Keir Starmer secured his majority on the NEC when they introduced STV for the CLP section. That's the point at which that was all but guaranteed. Um, so he does have a majority in the NEC, but not from winning a majority amongst the membership. The, it, sound, it looks like, if not a majority, very close to majority, was won by the grassroots voice slate. Um, and to put it in perspective, when Corbyn was leadership, the slate attached to his kind of leadership would regularly win 55% of the vote. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this case, that the slate pitching themselves to be the, the Starmerites, Labour to win, won, I suspect, probably more like 30%. So like, almost half, maybe just a little bit over half what um, uh, the, the Corbynite slate in the Corbyn years years did. Mm-hmm. So it is true that in terms of the mechanics of running the NEC, Kirsten was in a stronger place than he was before. But that's not because there's overwhelming support for... Um, Keir Starmer to do whatever he wants. I think that the majority of Labour members quite um, were quite supportive of Keir Starmer's initial pitch, which was that he was going to be a more electable but main, equally radical version of Jeremy Corbyn. And I think that the, ref, the, the results of this NEC election, election reflect that. People want an NEC that is able to support Keir Starmer to get into number 10, but will also hold him accountable to the pledges that um, he was elected on. I think that's that. But to answer Charlie's question, it really depends on what happens in, in the next two years, doesn't it? I mean, you know, the the left is in a stronger place now than I thought it was three hours ago. Um, but a lot can happen in two years. You know, there's um, the membership can change, the mood can change. Um, but I think that the left is in a very strong position moving forward. It's got a large base amongst the membership very clearly. I can see no reason why that shouldn't maintained as, as strong as it is right now. I think the left needs to be essentially be, be doing what I said members want a moment ago, which is to support Kisama into number 10, but at the same time holding accountable to the pledges that he stood on in the leadership election, which frankly were closer to Corbynism than they were to any of his predecessors. Well, just on that, I mean, to me, that sounds a bit like, you know, we won the argument, but we didn't win the election, which is sort of that's the problem, you know, the mechanisms of power are important, whether they're on the NEC or winning an election to get into to Downing Street. And ultimately, the fact that Luke Akehurst did very, very well, the fact that Keir Starmer has got his majority, like the NEC, as it stands now, is not going to be able to block Keir Starmer from what he wants to do. Now, the, the going through the votes is very, very interesting, and for people, as we said, I think it's a very niche call and it's interesting for all of us. But in terms of the actual thing that matters is, is he going to be able to get his business through the NEC? And the answer to that is probably yes. Now, um, you know, Keir Starmer obviously will want to keep this broad coalition within the, within the party. 
But, you know, I think we also have to be clear, given the events of the last couple of weeks, the suspension of Jeremy Corbyn, the damning report on anti-Semitism from the Equality and Human Rights Commission, that has also affected people's votes. And I think the idea that Keir Starmer clings closely to Corbynism, I'm afraid that ship has sailed. Keir Starmer has been part of a party that's just suspended Jeremy Corbyn for his behaviour. So um, I don't think Keir Starmer is going to have to cling close to Jeremy Corbyn in any way. And I think these results, in terms of what they show for the actual mechanics of the NEC, show that the party is actually on Keir Starmer's side. And Keir Starmer is more likely to win power by distancing himself from Jeremy Corbyn, quite frankly. Well, we could definitely debate that all night. <laughs> I won't keep everyone while we do that. But yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's interesting because, well, some, one person said, well, uh, they don't like that Laura Pidcock was elected, but she has declared that she's in favour of reinstating Jeremy Corbyn. So she would have to recuse herself to, from any such panel if that if that were to happen. So obviously the fact that NEC has all these things coming up. So there's the EHRC recommendations implement, including an independent complaints process for anti-Semitism complaints and and some of the other recommendations that they've done. And also there's the Ford inquiry and that, that will have some recommendations around party culture and internal reform. And then of course, there's also Corbyn suspension. And if that goes to the NEC, if it reaches that point, then whoever sits on that panel, you know, might be decisive. So all of these things coming up are obviously make these elections more important in terms of their results. Charlie, do you want to just sum up our event by? <laughs> uh, well, as I say, I, I think you know, and, you know, everyone. I mean, people clearly, all sides are going to draw some satisfaction from various things in terms of the, um, um, you know, clearly the leadership, as Aisha said, is drawing a clear. Uh, will be pleased tonight that it's made made its two gains. Um, um, and therefore is in a stronger position and, and the NEC, um, you know, meetings may be shorter, as I should speculate. Um, clearly, also, Grassroots Voice, you know, have done better than, you know, and I think both myself and James, who try and be quite dispassionate and try and analyse, have clearly done better than something than we might have expected. So I think they're, they'll be pleased tonight in terms of, uh, the grassroots voice extra seat that we might expect in the NEC and the disabled place, you know, so they'll be pleased with that. They they haven't, you know, some, you know, as I said, I think James said three hours ago, he was probably thinking of a not so good result. So, you know, they'll be pleased with that. But at the same time, crucially, you know, in the sense, in terms of the political balance, the NEC has changed and I think they'll, they'll have to reckon that. But that also then leads it now to the, the position of Open Labour who look as if they've missed two seats very narrowly and at the same time probably hold quite an important balancing role um, on the NEC. And so therefore, you know, probably listening out to statements from them over the next few hours as to their reaction to the results might, might be important for all NEC members at the moment. So, so uh, you know, so that's, that, that's where I think we end up tonight. I mean, and at the same time, just very minor things, Tribune clearly didn't seem to get anywhere. The, the Labour left alliance, very small slate that it was, clearly also seem to have come nowhere. And that's quite significant as well, because grassroots voice could be argued to be a slightly more mainstream in a sense of the left and Labour left alliance, which, you know, clearly, you know, the debates over anti-Semitism in the party, they probably hold some quite different views to people within um, um, 
the grassroots voice like. So that was probably a significant thing tonight, that it looks as if Labour left alive and done real. And at the same time, of course, we always have to speculate as to whether any sort of independent comes a big candidate. I mean, Joanna Baxter started off as an independent and, you know, and got on the NEC. Eddie Izzard was a, Izzard was a member of an independent and on the NEC. So, um, you know, looks tonight, the independents haven't done well. I was thinking Crispin Flintoff was a possible one. And at the same time, when we get the actual detail, we will want to look at how some of those smaller independents are done. Because, of course, we've seen in, other, in the past that independents have started off as an independent and ended up on a slate. So looking at their performance will be interesting from all the slates' perspectives. So I think that's the sort of overview of all the types of results tonight. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Charlie. I guess uh, the, the thing I would add to that is, yeah, I think we always have to look at swing votes on the NEC. That's obviously a really important aspect of all of this. And at the moment, you know, it has been that GMB's two reps have been those swing votes. And especially, you know, when in appointing the general secretary, it was the fact that they went for David Evans that actually swung it for David Evans and for, you know, for Keir Starmer, because that was his pick for general secretary, um, despite obviously Labour left unions being quite annoyed about that that preference so again like Anne Black is probably going to play a bit of a similar role in that she's supportive of Keir Starmer supports the leadership not hostile for at all but at the same time can be a little bit more independent minded she wasn't on the Labour Queen play so that's that's really interesting um thank you so much all three of you for joining at a very last minute hate range event thank you so much for everyone who is watching Obviously, check out our write-ups on the Labour list of the results. I've posted in that results piece the link to all three documents that break down all the results, so you can nerd out on that for the rest of the night if you so wish. Um, and thank you very much for joining. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Cheers.